in Corinth. To get some of what he's saying, it was helpful to know this about the town of Corinth. It was in a part of the world that was apart from, mindset-wise, a world away from the area of Jerusalem, Israel. Part of their differences lay in this, that they were in a part of the world where it was quite fashionable to adhere, give devotion to many different gods. Fact is, in much of that part of the world, the more gods you offered your allegiance to, the better it was thought to be. Along comes the Christian faith, and before that even the Jewish faith, but certainly when the time of the Christian faith rolled around, here comes Paul into the town of Corinth and other believers trying to share the Christian faith with the residents there, telling them, no, you can't adhere to many gods. You have to worship one God. You have to worship Jesus and Jesus alone, and that would have fit very strangely in their ears. Even these new followers of Jesus that are making up the church there in Corinth, which would have been meeting in various persons' homes there within town, even for them, this would have most likely been a pretty new thing, to worship just one God for them would have taken some getting used to, would have taken some adjustment. But Paul nonetheless makes that claim. He says to them in his writing that we heard uh, from today, that Joe read for us today, he said, listen, don't be led astray by another gospel, another message. He even uses the term by another Jesus, another version of the teachings about Jesus. Don't be led astray. I know you're used to worshiping many different gods, but stick with Jesus. Paul says to them, in fact, if somebody comes along with another message, if that sounds good, you'll just kind of toddle off, Paul says to the church in Corinth. You'll just go toddling off and following that one as, as well. Paul says, don't do that. Stick with Jesus, Jesus alone. I see a parallel between that and the day in which we live. It's not so fashionable in this day to claim adherence to Jesus, to Jesus alone. I'll give you a picture as to how this worked. I'd finished worship one Sunday, and a lady approached me. This was in another congregation. She had been coming for some period of time. She approaches me right after the worship ended where I'm doing the preacher handshaking thing with people following the service. She hands me this book. She says, it's a book of comparative religions. She says, read this book. I think it will do you good. Perhaps it will keep you from being so narrow. And what she was referencing was all this talk that I was doing in a Christian church about you would have been proud of me. I, I was very kind. I, I was gracious in my response. Tell me how proud you were of me after the service. Thank you as you're doing the preacher handshaking thing uh, on your way out today. All I said was, well, thank you very much. But frankly, what I wanted to say was you know, seven years of studying this stuff beyond high school 
would it be possible that I might have studied some comparative religions? Well, could have been very possible that that had, had happened. But I just said, well, thank you. But inside I'm thinking, well, no, I think I'm going to keep preaching Jesus. Here's the thing. I, I'm not against studying other religions. In fact, I would recommend it to you. I think it would do, do all of us well to study folks of other belief systems. Here's the thing. Growing up where I grew up, I could more easily afford not to be aware of the other belief systems around me, the other religions around me. Growing up in the small town I grew up with, we were spiritually pretty homogeneous. There was, just, there was the basic Methodist, Baptist, uh, there was a Lutheran church there in town. And that was pretty much it in terms of the spiritual offerings there in town. There was really nothing beyond that. So what else was there for me to encounter? The world has changed. You've probably noticed the world has changed. And the world's gotten smaller. Folks that have other belief systems are right around us now. So it does us well to know, to, to be aware of that. So not speaking against that, I think that's a good thing. But let me share with you where my heart is today. And I think it was what Paul was recommending to us. That our allegiance should be to Jesus and to Jesus alone. I think we're going to talk next Sunday about what do we do when we encounter folks of other religions. Well, just a spoiler alert here. We lead with grace to them. We lead with love. We can't argue somebody out of their position any more than they could argue us out of ours. But we lead with grace towards folks while we hold firmly to our devotion to Jesus. My mindset is, is this. Number one, that's what I see in the New Testament. Also, it seems to me that either Jesus was who he said he was, to the New Testament said he was, or he wasn't. And if he was who the New Testament said he was, and I believe he was, that he was the Son of God, God come to earth on a rescue mission for us, taking on our flesh, dying in our place, rising on the third day. If he was who he said he was, that would demand my highest allegiance. I remember the day that I first committed my heart to Jesus Christ, sitting in the pastor's study of Camp United Methodist Church when I was 17 years old. I was sitting there talking with the pastor. It was he and I for what the naked eye could see, but there was a third person in the room. Jesus showed up as he told me the gospel story all over again. He was there. He was the one who died for me. He was the one who saved me. That demands my allegiance. When we join the United Methodist Church, when we're entering into that beautiful covenant service when anybody becomes a member alongside us of the church, one of the questions we, is, we ask the person is that will you put your trust in the grace of Jesus alone and promise to serve him and no other as your Lord? That's the question that we ask. That question that goes back a long way in the Methodist way of doing things was born out of the belief that we give our allegiance to Jesus alone. 
I think of the long line of folks who would worship Jesus and no other in the history of God's people, in the history of the Christian faith. I think of the, that long line of folks who would not deviate from giving their allegiance to Jesus and to Jesus alone in which we stand. I think of the recipients of the letter of Revelation written at the end of the first century to Christians in Asia Minor who were being threatened with death by the emperor Domitian who sat on the throne over in Rome. Those Christians there at the end of the first century that were now following Jesus in Asia Minor, so long as they worshipped the emperor, they could go about their business, they could go back to their house churches on, on Saturday or Sunday, whenever it was during the week they worshipped. They could continue to worship Jesus the emperor was not trying to get them to stop that. Instead, he was trying to add on worshiping him alongside Jesus. Those believers were threatened by the emperor and his forces with their very lives had they failed to do so. You can keep worshiping Jesus. You can go home and live a long life, serve on whatever board you're on at your, your local house church, live long and draw your pension well into retirement, you can be fine. And you can keep worshiping Jesus, just worship me too, was the emperor's message. They would not give in. Their allegiance was to Jesus alone. And many of them gave their life exactly for that. We're not just spiritual. Today, it's, it's good to be spiritual, it seems like, is, is our corporate mindset in, in, around us out in the world today. It's, it's great to be spiritual, but to, to, to worship Jesus alone, well, maybe not so much. I think Isaac Watts got it right when he wrote the words to the hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. We sing that great hymn through Lent every year. And he wrote this, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, I'm mixing some verses here, hope you'll forgive me that. When I survey the wondrous cross, love so amazing, so divine, demands my heart, my life, my all. We worship Jesus. Our allegiance is not just to some spiritual sense. Our allegiance is to Jesus. In just a few moments, you're going to be invited forward. We'll put some symbols of the death of Jesus in your hand, a bit of bread representing his broken body, some wine representing the blood he spilled for you. And I would invite you to this thought as you come forward today. I invite you to think this, Jesus, I remember what you did for me. I remember that you came on a rescue mission for me to die that I might be forgiven. That anything that might stand between the Father and I might be removed because your death paid the price for it. You came, God, in the flesh 
on a rescue mission for me that I'm, you died that I might live forever. So Lord Jesus, my sole devotion, my allegiance is to you. I invite you to that thought in a few moments as we come forward. In the name of the Father and of the Son, the one who died for us, and of the Holy Spirit, and all God's people together said, Amen. Amen.